is loving and what that means is that everything that God does is always a loving activity if God creates he creates in love if God rules God rules in love if God judges God judges in love when God redeems God redeems in love because at the essence of the nature of God is love Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Remember singing that song as a child? It was a staple in every church classroom. While this song has a memorable tune and the motions to go with it, what has made it stand the test of time is that it's true. Jesus does love us, and the Bible does talk about it. Today, Pastor Daniel will continue this Advent series with an invitation to explore God's love and how that impacts your daily life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 1 John chapter 4 with a brand new message called Love. So, I don't know about you, but I have just loved getting to reflect upon Christmas, this Advent season. You know, that that season of Advent, the church traditionally, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, was a time to really think about and prepare ourselves for the celebration of the commemoration of the birth of Jesus. And I'm always reminded in these seasons that that need to prepare our hearts. It was really the early church's desire to organize their entire life around the story of Jesus. And even though we might not do that in a formal way today, we probably should because each one of our lives ends up being organized around different ideas, different happenings. Like you think our lives are organized when you're growing up, you go to school and then you have the rhythms of school and then then you have jobs and, and all the different things. They're organizing principles of our lives. But really what God wants is he wants Jesus and who Jesus is to be the organizing principle of our lives. And for all of us, the growth that God wants to bring into our lives actually happens when we stop organizing our lives around lesser stories and we really organize everything around the person of Jesus. And we've been reflecting on these four main gifts that Jesus, the promised king, brings as part of the Christmas story. And today I get to share and close out this portion of the series by talking about love, which obviously is the, is the overriding ethic of what Christianity is supposed to be. It is the most important thing. But one of the things that I've been thinking about in light of all of this is how part of following Jesus is learning how to simply embrace the tension of the things of God being already and not yet. Let me explain that. Like Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and scholars would tell you that God's kingdom is already because Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. But it's all also not yet. We're experiencing it, but not in its fullness. 
And if you think about each of these gifts that Jesus brings, one of the challenges of life is that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have hope. But every single day, we're also needing to find hope to continue on. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you know that you have peace with God and that God's peace wants to guard your heart and mind. But every single day is a day to choose to lean into that peace in a world that is disquieting to our souls. We know that Jesus, that God's joy is our strength and that there is a joy unspeakable because Jesus came and died and rose again. But every single day in a million and five circumstances, we are figuring out how to walk in joy with whatever the issues of today are. And in the same way, when we talk about love today, we know that we are loved by God because we believe in Jesus. But every single day is a day to choose to remember that you're loved by God because all sorts of things are gonna happen that are gonna make you feel like maybe I'm not loved with an everlasting love. And I think that there's a, a tension to this journey that is very challenging. And I think maybe for some of us, even right now, your biggest challenge is that you know these things to be true, but you're forgetting that growing in these things every day is actually what it means to be a Christian. In some ways, we kind of want the Christian life to be like mowing your lawn. Nobody gets too excited about mowing your lawn unless you do. And if that's you, you can come to my house. I'm sure a bunch of people will be like, hey, you can come to my house. You know, really, we just want it to be done, right? It's like, let's just accomplish that. And in a lot of ways, I think we have a tendency to think that walking with Jesus is something that we just accomplish and it's done. But what I want to tell you, actually following Jesus is every single day showing up to the fresh invitation to walk in love and joy and hope and peace, to choose those realities in the midst of a world that isn't offering those things, and to choose to trust God even while things might not look like God is doing the things that we thought he was going to do. Really, the, the beauty of following Jesus is willing to remember that he is here and we are here, but he's not done working yet. And we don't want to get, be weary in doing good. And we don't want to be weary in continuing to show up. Because really the Christian life is about every day showing up and letting Jesus do this work in our lives of helping us to know hope and joy and peace and love. And I think as we're now coming down the, the final stretch to commemorate the birth of Jesus as we celebrate together on Christmas Eve, now is the time for us to re-up on that decision to say, I'm gonna say yes, Lord, to your invitation to grow in these different gifts that Jesus has come to bring into my life. And so today we're gonna to study love together and I'm excited to share one of my very favorite passages of scripture with you. So open your Bibles, 1 John chapter four, so go to 1 John, not the Gospel of John. 1 John is towards the end of your Bible. There's the three letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then there's the book of Jude. Then there's the book of Revelation. So start at the end of your Bible, turn back. And obviously 1 John is before 2nd John, you know, and it's two before 3rd John, just to make sure we're, we're clear there. 
What's beautiful is, is John's letters, you know, John in the gospels, him and his brother James, Jesus called them the, thun, the sons of thunder and not because uh, they were such uh, mighty preachers, it's because they had anger management problems. Literally, it's like they called them sons of thunder because they left the city and they didn't reject Jesus. Jesus is like, man, Jesus, call down fire and kill all these people. And Jesus is like, whoa, dude, you do not know of what spirit you are. But literally, the transformation of Jesus brings John the apostle from a son of thunder with anger management problems to John was known as the, the apostle whom Jesus loved. And, and the apostle John's primary message at every turn in all of his writings is God's love for us and in turn, why we should choose to love other people. And so 1 John chapter four, I love all of the Bible, but this passage is one of my go-to passages. It just, it ministers, it always challenges me, and it reminds me of the things that are the most important. So listen to what it says, 1 John chapter four, picking up in verse seven, it says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, verse 9, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I want you to notice the first word of verse seven. What's the first word? Beloved. What's the first word of verse 11? Beloved. Now, don't miss the fact that our entire passage is kind of bookended by this phrase, beloved, which is those who are the divinely loved ones, the beloved ones, the ones who are loved by God. One of the things that is so powerful about the Bible is that you and I are called beloved, but not based on our performance. And I think this is very, very important because we live in a world where our, our world says you are loved if you do what I want you to do, right? If you fulfill what I desire for you to fulfill, then I love you. But the Bible teaches that we are loved not based on our performance, that we are loved based on the very character of God. It's the only place under heaven that you will find real unconditional love, and that is from God. Because everywhere else, you are loved if you fulfill the function. And you don't believe me. Look, at, look what it says. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, it starts right there. John grounds all that he wants to talk about in, about love with the simple phrase that God is love. God is love. This is the starting place for all of this. Now, this could be rightly translated, God as to his nature is love. God is a loving God. It is his nature to be loving. So all discussions about love in the, in the Bible begin with the fact that God's nature is loving. And what that means is that everything that God does is always a loving activity. 
If God creates, he creates in love. If God rules, God rules in love. If God judges, God judges in love. When God redeems, God redeems in love because at the essence of the nature of God is love. Now, I think this is important because everybody would probably universally agree that this world needs more love. Like if, if I were to go around and say, do you think that we need more love in the world? Everyone says what? Yes. And, and not only at church, if you go to a coffee shop right now, if you go to the Society of Atheists, if you go to any class, I don't know if there's a Society of Atheists, but if there was, you go there like, do you think that we need more love in the world? I don't think they'd be like, no, we need more death in the world. I don't think they're going to say that, even though they're atheists, right? It's like everybody universally agrees that we need more love. And of course, as the great English theologian, John Lennon from the Beatles said, I'm not saying he's a biblical theologian, but he's a theologian just the same. The old phrase, right? All you need is what? Love. All you need is love. All you need is love. <laughs> love is all you need. It's great songwriting, right? I'm surprised. Every time I do this, no one ever says love. Because that's the way he said it's a great, it's, never mind. This idea that all you need is love, everyone agrees. But the difference is between what John Lennon is talking about, what the Bible is talking about, is everybody wants love to be what they think love is. And actually, the Bible roots what real love is, not in human conceptions of love, but in a God who is, as to his nature, loving. And we know this because in the Greek language, there are numerous words for the word love. In English, there's just what? Love, right? I heard it said that Eskimos have many, many different words for snow, but I've never been able to verify that because I don't know any Eskimos. So I don't know what kind of snow we had today, but it wouldn't, you know, if it, and if you're an Eskimo, you talk to me after service, I would love to know some of the words. But in the Greek language, there's all these different words for love. Like there's the word eros, which speaks of passion or erotic love, attractions, Right Then you have the word storge, which is, means familial love, the love between parents and children, and children and parents and brothers and sisters. Right Then you have the word phileo, which speaks of brotherly love, which really speaks of kind, neighborly affection. And then you have the Greek word agape, which is the word that is used all through this passage. And that word literally means a self-sacrificial and a self-giving love. A love that is not there to receive, but a love that is willing to diminish itself for the building up or the blessing of another. And when it says that God is love, John grounds all ideas about love in the self-giving love of God. And the thing is, is the world doesn't need more human, situational, self-centered love. What the world needs is the self-giving love of God that has now been impacting the human heart that now gets lived out into the world. I always like to say, like, it's great that John knew that all you need is love, but he could have kept the Beatles together for 10 more years. But so for so many of us, we're so busy thinking about our own ideas about love that we are not allowing the love of God to change us. And of course, this idea that God is love, John says it a little bit later in John chapter four, in first John chapter four, listen to what it says in verse 15 and 16. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God... 
God abides in him and he in God and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now, I think this is really important because what John is saying a little bit later in this chapter is that if somebody confesses that Jesus is the son of God, if someone says, I believe in Jesus, Jesus is the son of God, then God abides in that person. God takes up residence in that person and that person, he and God, that person takes up residence in the life of God And it says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us because God is love. So this idea of knowing the love of God, it speaks of an intimate experiential knowledge. And this is what God wants for humanity. Not for us just to have this concept of love, but to have an intimate experiential knowledge of the love of God because now we, God dwells in us and we get to dwell in the life of God. And all of this is because God is a loving God. See, somebody who loves only desires the object of that affection to experience that love. Look, I think about Christmas morning, right? Kids like presents. I mean, everyone likes presents. But we all know that a present is hollow if it's not rooted in love for that person, right? It's like if somebody loves you, like they can give you anything, but because they love you, they want to share that affection with you. And God who created and sustained everything and everyone desires for all of us to experience his love. And all of a Christian's ability to walk in love is rooted not in our own desires to be loving people, but it's rooted in the personality of God. When was the last time you sat back into the reality, rested in the reality, found comfort in the reality that God who is loving by nature loves you? And when was the last time you let God's love for you now drive the way that you treat other people in the world? Because our culture very much lives in what psychologists calls the law of reciprocal affection. You learn deep stuff here at Crossroads. The idea is, is that people give love when they receive love, right? So it's got reciprocity. I give you love, I give you what I want, which is love, and then you give it back to me, and then I give it back to you, right? It's kind of like you go into a coffee shop. You have a law of reciprocal affection. Here's my, depending on what coffee shop you go in, $87. You know, here's my $87, and they're like, here, okay, you give me $87, and I'm gonna give you this latte that's got a little flower on it and it's all super cool. Sometimes it's a deformed flower, but we like flowers either way and, 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 it, and it's reciprocal. But if you go and say, hey, can I get my coffee and you don't give them any money, they give you the coffee. No, unless the person before you is super, is there a Christian? They bought you the coffee. That's cool of them too. But it's reciprocal. In the same way, all of our relationships run this way. I love you and then you love me back. But if you stop loving me in the way that I want you to love me, then I stop loving you back. And that's how relationships begin and end. It begins with a reciprocal uh, flow of love. And then at some point, someone stops returning that love. And then you say, well, like the soup Nazi. You guys remember soup Nazi from Seinfeld? 
No soup for you. No love for you anymore. Right? And that's how it works. But the thing is, is in a world where humans function on the law of reciprocal affection, God's like, yeah, I'm actually going to completely subvert that whole process. Because you loving other people is not going to be dependent on them returning the love that you want. I'm going to give you an endless flow of love because I am loving by nature so that you can proactively love other people. Isn't that powerful? And in a lot of ways, that's what makes Christianity so different because in every religion, there is ethics that are associated with it. But God's saying, listen, it's not you give me what I want from you and I'll give it back to you. It's like God's like, I'm gonna give you a continual overflow of my love and then I want you to go live into the world overflowing with my love no matter what somebody does. Not based on their performance, not based on their ability or inability to give us what we want. God's like, I'm going to love you and I'm going to love through you. Because look what it says. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. So, so love has its origin in God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So you know when someone's been born again by God and knows God because they choose to walk in the very love that God has for us. And then in order to close the loop, The Spirit of God inspires John to write in verse 8, and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So here's the deal. The world should know Christians by the fact that we love people. And here's the deal. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I realize not everyone here is. If you're not, we want you to believe in Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus. We encourage you to follow Jesus, but we realize everyone's on a different step of their faith journey. But if you're here today and you're like, I'm a Christian, then people should know you're a Christian not by how well you know your Bible, although that's a good thing. Not by how much time you spend in church. That's a good thing too. People will know you're a follower of Jesus because you love self-sacrificially. And one of the things that's the most heartbreaking about the day and age in which we live is people do not believe that Christians are loving. Not only because we don't agree with them, but also because a lot of Christians are not loving. A lot of us are not loving people. We love who we like, not the people that God loves, which is everybody. And I think that God wants to do a work in us because of that. If you don't love, you don't know God because God is loving. Now, I realize it's provocative, but as we continue on, you're going to see we start where we are and then God brings us to where we've never been before. Because look what happens. Verse 9, 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Really what we learn here is that Christmas is God's love manifested. Jesus is Pastor Daniel closed out today's message with the challenge to consider if you're loving people like Jesus did. Do you only love the people you like, those whom you're comfortable with, or do you step outside your comfort zone and love who Jesus loved, which is everyone? These aren't easy questions and they deserve some honest answers because they're important. You see, people will know you follow Jesus not just by how well you know the Bible or live a moral life. 
but by how you truly love the people who come into your story. Hey everybody, it's Pastor Daniel Fusco here, lead pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. Listen, we hope that this time of year brings you great hope and great joy. We also realize that with Christmas Day and New Year's Day being on a Sunday, many of you are going to be home and we have special online messages for you here at Crossroads at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So join us online, live.crossroadschurch.net from the comfort and safety of your own home. Gather your family around, grab a cup of coffee, and we can't wait to learn more that Jesus is real. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will challenge you to love like Jesus did, boldly, sacrificially, and completely. You'll see that God's love doesn't have boundaries and neither should yours. Jesus showed us that we can dive into the mess of other people's lives knowing that their hope and future are only found in Him. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called The Promised King. Glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.